take up our Bibles at this time, continuing in our summer of Psalms, turning tonight to Psalm 85. Psalm 85, fitting again in that song of understanding who that anchor is and the wonder of the twists and turns of this life, that he is always that tether point for us. And so even though it might seem that all of that path of life is knotted and crazily messed up, he is a sure anchor. He is that place in which we need to continue to return, remembering who he is, continuing to return to him, and certainly looking forward to a day in which that promise that we've sung will come true, that we will be with him forevermore. And so those words then are spoken in the words of our psalm tonight, Psalm 85. And so let's hear his inspired word tonight to the choir master, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Lord, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. You withdrew all your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. Restore us again, O God, of our salvation. And put away your indignation toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak. For he will speak peace to his people, to his saints, but let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground and righteousness looks down from the sky. Yes, the Lord will give what is good and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps away. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's seek his blessing in it in prayer. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, as we turn our hearts to your word, we're thankful that you turn your face to us in blessing. You remind us of your presence, your comfort. You remind us of your holiness and your splendor. You remind us of all of your promises that are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. And you do that in the working of the Holy Spirit, that great inheritance or that guarantee of the inheritance in our hearts. And Father, we know that at the end of a day of rest, we're still tired. Father, our minds so quickly shift back to work and to school and to so many other activities that are going to happen. Father, we know that we turn our eyes away from you to the distractions of this life, to the temptations of our own hearts, to the callousness of our own sin. And so we pray, Father, by the proclamation of your word that you would turn our eyes again to Jesus to look full in his wonderful face, that the things of earth would grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And so, Father, may my words spoken be yours to your people. May they be received in the same way according to the office that you have given to me. But more may your name be praised in all of it, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, children of God called to be saints, have you ever given thought to the number of times that you turn in a day? 
and maybe you're like, no, that's only weird people like you philosophy majors, but, but give me a minute, right? Just, just think about that. Maybe even just when you're driving, the number of left turns and right turns that you have to take to get where you're going. Think about the number of times that you're interrupted at work so often that you finally return to the thing that you needed to do and then you've forgotten what that is in the first place. Children, how many times in the car do your parents have to tell you to turn around and to stop it? Or the teacher tells, of course, someone else in your class to knock it off, to turn, to turn again to the front of the class, to turn to the Lord and turn away from the evil that they're given to. But even more than that, think about your life and the number of twists and turns that are a part of it. Those times which things seem to be going very well and there's a quick right or a quick left and, and now there's another turn and something else takes place and, and we're so turned around and it seems like we're even upside down, turned around in every possible direction that we don't even know where right is up anymore. Think about the number of times that in those moments we turn to God. Think about the number of times in those moments that we turn away from him. And so when we're all turned around, when we're feeling distant from God, where we're struggling to understand how, how do I come again into his presence, to consider the ways that you've turned from God and saying, how, how do I come back in repentance? What, what does confession need to look like? What am I holding on to in these moments where everything seems upside down, but I know the direction that my life is going, and I know where my end, really my beginning, eternity will come. How now am I to live? Who am I to turn to? Where am I to go? And so what we want, ultimately, is to be brought back to him. I need to be brought back to you, God. I need my life in every way to be directed there. And it really then is the beauty of Psalm 85. And the reason that we talked about this turning isn't just to have some neat segue of introduction, but because of the key word in the Hebrew throughout Psalm 85, and it's a word called shuv, transliterated it looks like shove, and we're not going to talk about that, but but what it speaks of is turning. And it's the root word in our text for words like restore and return and revive. That all of those things are a turning. Turning back to blessing, turning back to God, turning back to life. To turn back to his blessings, to return to his presence, and to be brought again and again and again and again to the source of our life. And so it's the beauty then of being able to take these moments together to turn again to him, to turn away from all of those other things, to turn away from all of that other noise, and to turn again to the Lord and to his promise given to us. Because that isn't just a when things are bad or upside down. That has to be an every moment aspect of life. And so in every moment, we cry out to God to restore us, to return us, and to revive us in his steadfast love and faithfulness. That becomes the point. What am I turning from, but also who am I turning to, and what has he promised? He's promised an abundance of steadfast love 
and faithfulness. And so what we see in the psalm and the way that it's broken up is that that becomes a word in every season, in every turn, in every time. And so in the first three verses of our psalm, we see that 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 plea to restore us and to return us and to revive us is one of a remembrance of your steadfast love and faithfulness that we have to remember and look in the past. And so we hear that even in the past tense of those verbs that we see in verses 1 and 3. You were favorable, you restored, you forgave, you covered, you withdrew, you turned. This is what God has done. And yet it's marked right away by the way of that introduction, Lord, covenant faithfulness, you have always been who you are, your name is what it is, but you were favorable. You were good and you were gracious. And so favor in the scriptures becomes a word for covenant faithfulness. You exercised who you were in your character and goodness for us. And we see it written all the way through our history. You've kept your promise. You provided us with land. You provided us with seed. You provided us with an inheritance. Everything you promised to Israel in coming out of Egypt, you gave. Every battle you fought, every deliverance you gave, you kept your word. This is who you are. You are a God, Yahweh, who keeps all of his promises. But it was more than that. You restored the fortunes. You restored the inheritance of Jacob. The one who was promised in the line of those fathers a great deliverance. I will make you a people. I will make a people for myself and redeem a people for myself. It is a promise wrapped up in his salvation, an inheritance which we know gloriously in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That is the greatest favor. I have given my son for you. You have every good thing in him. And yet the recollection of this still is a past tense. We'll get to the present in a few moments. But there's an angst here because of that past. This is what you promised. This is what you gave. But what had happened is that, well, the people were exiled, spat out of the land. They forgot God's favor. They forgot his goodness. They turned away from his promise. And not just once, or not just a couple of times, but I mean, read the Old Testament, and we see it over and over and over again. And that's only matched by how often we, in looking back, saying, God, you have been good to me and faithful. You have delivered me. You have given me every blessing of the promise of your covenant. And I turn to, I turn to myself and away from you again and again and again. And yet we come to a God who is willing to forgive. You see, that's where that recollection of the past ultimately has to drive us, that remembrance. Remember the God who not only has done that, but in even understanding that past, forgave every time. 
and turned us again. It says in Deuteronomy 31 to 3, and when all these things come upon you, the blessing and curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you, and return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey his voice, and all that I command you today, with all your heart and all your soul, hear it, then the Lord your God will restore your fortune. And again, it wasn't about the land, seed, and inheritance. They were just given to point to something else, to something better. And that's what we forget. That's why we need to remember. The Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you and gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. You see, it was more than just the blessings. It's more than just the stuff. And that's what we focus on. God, how can I remember you're good if I don't have anything? If you've taken everything away? If you've brought discipline and judgment? Do we remember that he's still caring for us in that? Do we remember that that's part of his favor too? You see, it was the blessing of favor and fellowship. What he was bringing about in that moment. I'm gathering you to myself. Do you remember? That it was about the blessing of the face of the Lord. Of the presence of the Lord. Of his understanding of that which he would work in and through them. Even the prophet Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 29, 14, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places which I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from when I sent you into exile. And the greatest of those blessings is there in verse 2. You forgave the iniquity of your people. Because in our remembrance, we still focus, even in that guilt of all the ways that we've transgressed and we've fallen short, we define ourselves in so many ways that way. You forgave our iniquity. Literally in verse 2, this verb speaks of, you bear our sins away. And so children, maybe you've in your classes at school have talked about or heard the, the word scapegoat, okay? Oftentimes, it's somebody in the class who ends up taking the rap for something that several people did, and they're the scapegoat, right? They're the ones that get in trouble for the sake of everybody. But in the Old Testament, that word is so much richer because when atonement was to be made for the people, the priests would place their hands for the sake of the people on the hands of two goats, one would be sacrificed, and one would be sent out of the camp. That that lamb would bear away the sins of God's people, carried away outside into the wilderness, no more apart. They would see that and remember that God has provided blood to wash us, and he has removed our guilt. Do we remember that? I have forgiven you all your iniquity. I've carried it on my shoulders for you. I've borne your burden. I've carried your sorrows. All of that has been done. But it's more than that. And I've covered your sin. That's atonement word. 
I have sprinkled my blood upon you. You are mine. Not only are you forgiven, you are adopted, you are child. Don't forget not only who I am, but who you are. Remember. For in that way, he has withdrawn all his wrath because it's been carried by Jesus. You've removed from us turning. You've turned from your hot anger. It's the beauty of Isaiah 12. You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord God is a strength and a song and has become my salvation. Which then he says, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Do we remember what he's done? So yes, remember, this this is who I was. And this is how I was broken. But in looking back, in all of the ways of that turning, Father, you've turned away from our iniquity. You've turned from your hot anger because you turned your face away from your son so that you would never remove that blessing from me. So that no matter where our life is leading and turning, we can turn to him. So will you be thankful for those past blessings? Will your remembrance be filled continually in a turning to God, knowing that He is a God that forgives? To give all of your trust to Him and not doubt, even in those moments where you would have to ask God to return in steadfast love and faithfulness, that that remembrance ought to drive us then in a better way to returning to steadfast love and faithfulness, returning to your steadfast love and faithfulness. And that in the second place. But yet here, even in studying the psalm, comes a problem. Not an insurmountable one, but one that should make us say, why? How have we gotten to the point in verse 4 where we have to ask him to restore us again. Some of those older translations revive, but turn again to us in life. Restore us. Turn us again to life. You see, while that serves to us as an assurance, what that also does is present a problem because we know that we're not always going to turn there. It's a maddening thing about our hearts. It's the maddening thing about our old nature. Because we still question it. We still doubt. As though God at some point is like, you know what? I've forgiven enough. I've covered enough. I've done enough. I've done more than enough for you. And so we don't come. And we don't remember. You see, this request seems to be out of place. Because if we recognize His turning work in the past, why are we coming to Him again saying, turn again, and turn again, and turn again? It's because of us. 
And it's a part of the vital confession in this psalm that hurts when we read it. Because why isn't that past reality still present for me? Why isn't it continually remembered in me and make me bow down in humility before him? Why do I get to these points of saying, I'm going to keep turning and finding my own way? You see, he's never turned or departed. We turn from him. Again and again and again we turn. And in discipline, he brings wrath that we be driven to his mercy. And so that's where verse 4, in the very real brokenness of being lost and having taken any number of wrong turns again on that road, where we say, Lord, can, would you fix this again? At sometimes we get frustrated in the car because our GPS... It doesn't regenerate fast enough. This coming from the guy who got lost to a number of pulpit supply things because I was still trying to read MapQuest and drive and not yell at my wife. But now when you've missed that turn, and before you used to hear recalculating and now it seems very much different, like we'll get, we'll get there yet. But you see in life, we're continuing to motor through. And we're not listening. And we don't stop to hear it. And we get to a point where we're so lost that it seems like even Siri can't get us out. And we throw up our hands, and maybe at that point we pray. But what if we did that at the beginning? And what if there was a solid plan, and we listened to those directions, and we knew where we were going? Restore us again, O God, of our salvation, and put away your indignation from us. Father, my sin angers you. Verse 5, will you be angry with us forever? No, your, your anger's turned away, but, but I'm still giving myself to things that anger you. I still give my life in so many ways to things that are against your word, that detract from your glory, that besmirch your character. Why doesn't this humble me rather than just continuing to drive through and then getting to this point saying, why is my life so messed up and why am I so far from God? It's because of us. I've given myself to brokenness. I've given myself to that which is opposite his character. You'll be angry with me as long as it takes. Will you prolong your anger to all generations? If this is the witness that I'm going to give, Kids, don't turn to the Lord. Turn away from Him. Turn yourself to all matters of worldliness. Turn yourself away from God's Word because we know better. Why would we expect them to be any less lost than we are? We turn because we're not turning again and again and again to the Lord. And yet when we do, what does he say? I'll cover your sins and I'll remember them no more. That I'm a good shepherd who's not only laid down my life for the sheep, 
but I'm going to lead you into green pastures beside quiet waters, and I'm going to restore your soul. I'm going to lead you, but I call you to follow me. You see, that's the present reality that we should be returning to. The Lord is steadfast and faithful. That isn't going to change. But as followers of his, is my life given to steadfast love and faithfulness? Is that known in the words that I speak? Is it known in the actions that I take? For God, you delight in faithfulness. And so certainly in that present, we need to come to the Lord. To cry out for revival, for a turn again to life. Will you not revive us again? Will you not turn us to life? Of course he will. Why? Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. God, you delight in faithfulness. You delight in salvation. So please return us to it. And that word there is hesed. Bring us back to your covenant faithfulness. You haven't been unfaithful, we have. So bring me back there. In the prayer of Psalm 69, but as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord. At an acceptable time, O God, in the abundance of your steadfast love, answer me in your saving faithfulness. And so that call to you tonight is to return to him. Turn again to the Lord. That whatever sin you're still carrying, whatever thing you've tried to baptize as being okay because other people are worse, or because nobody sees it, or nobody knows about it, return to the Lord. Don't run from Him in fear of judgment, but run to Him. It's a beautiful thing, right, about what it is to follow God. Because we're not running from him for fear that he's going to come and chase us down and smite us. But that we get to run to him and say, Father, I'm lost. And I don't know what to do. And I don't know where to go. But I need life from you. And I need to follow your direction. And he promises to give that help every day time. It's the wonder of your forgiveness. And so give yourself to it. Live out of the wonder, out of the gratitude for what that is. Share that grace with all you know. Because he keeps turning and he keeps turning us. So let's return to him then in a readiness for his steadfast love and faithfulness. And that's in the last place because the beauty here then is, is this now and future picture that the psalm resolves in. To turn our face away again from how recklessly lost we are at times to the beauty of where we're going. To the beauty of what God is working even in the midst of that struggle, even now. So yes, steadfast love and faithfulness, they need to inform our past. They need to be working in our present. But they should lead us to an abundant hope. 
to looking at a future that's secure because God is going to remain who he is. He's going to lead us there. He's going to guide us there. That's made plain at every point in his word. We turn because we're not turning again and again to the sure promise of his word. We turn because we're not turning to the sure commands of that same word, spoken and written and proclaimed. And so what is the prayer here in considering that future? I know twists and turns are coming. I know that I'm going to fall short, Lord, but I know where I'm going. I know where you're bringing your people. So then what is it? It's the question that every man hates to hear from his wife in the car when you're lost. Can you just stop and ask for directions? Can you just hear someone tell us where to go so I don't have to hear you get frustrated with me anymore? Verse 8, let me hear what God the Lord will speak. Lord, I'm stubborn. I am so stubborn. And I think I know where I'm going and what I need to do. I don't need those Ikea instructions. I can build this myself. Let's go. And I got a grocery bag full of parts yet, and I don't know what to do. Would you just hear? Would you just listen? Let me here. Brothers and sisters, will we give ourselves in an understanding of where we're going to his direction, to his leading, to his word, to give ourselves to hearing and to humbling ourselves before his words? Because what does it speak? Peace. It speaks the most beautiful word of shalom ever. That's what's promised. That's what's given us. We settle for so much less. We settle for that frustration, for going our own way. And he says, this is what I give. I give peace. I speak peace. But he says, let them not turn back to folly. It's either peace or foolishness. There is no peaceful foolishness. There is no fool who understands peace. But that comes by listening to his word. He will speak peace, peace between man and God, peace that is brought between brothers in the beauty of who Christ is. But don't turn back. You see, if we were to say that, well, why did you go that way? Well, I I wanted to go that way. Well, you know that's the wrong way, right? Well, yeah, but I wanted to go that way anyway. Like, we would look at anyone who talked to us that way, and we're like, "What? what are you doing? Why would anyone do that? Don't turn back. Why do you want to turn back to sin and brokenness? Why do you want to turn back to everything that separates you from God and from the peace that He's promised? 
But ultimately, why do you want to turn away from him? Verse 9, surely his salvation, hear it, is near those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. His salvation is near because he's near. And so if we're going to keep veering off trying to get away from him, why would we believe that salvation is near? Why would we believe that it's ours? You see, his glory is his presence among us. His glory in your life and the peace that can be yours is wrapped up in drawing near to his presence. And the word here is the same word that speaks of the glory that overwhelmed the tabernacle and overwhelmed the temple. And he says, this glory is near you. This glory is in your midst. It's a hope found in the one whose Shekinah glory has been made or has made its home in our midst for our salvation. What is our hope? Our hope is Christ. Our hope is Jesus, who is what? John 1, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His Shekinah. We have seen His glory cloud. We have known His presence. Of the only Son from the Father, full of what? Grace and truth. Give yourself to that truth. Yes, there's grace for us, but don't keep making wrong terms, presuming on that grace. Instead, turn to Him. Turn to Him. The one who shows us now in these last verses of the psalm, not only the personification of all God's attributes, which alone can bring peace, but the beauty of what he will make. Look with me again at verse 10. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. It isn't a one or the other. They're together. And again, this morning, how we had said how you can't have one without the other, we struggle with that. Well, we need to love people. Yeah, but it's also about truth. And God says it's both. It's never separate. Both. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Well, if I tell them what is righteous, I'm not going to be at peace. Not with a world of sin, but with the Lord you serve. Peace. That what we see in verse 11 is how by way of turning to Him and submitting to Him and finding our life in Him, now heaven and earth start to merge together. And so they come closer to each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground and righteousness looks down from the sky. And here now God is meeting with his people in what he's provided and in what he gives. I grant you my blessing and I give you my righteousness because you're my children. And I am building a people of which I am in your midst. The beauty of the picture of the new heavens and new earth. And that's what he's promised. And you're like, well, pastor, you don't know all of the turns of my life. I don't. I know some of those. I know enough of my own. But that's where we're going. 
And that's what he's working, even in all of those things of bringing you, even in all of that roundabout way to that. Yes, the Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its increase. You're going to turn again. You will always turn. But what is the call in that turning? Hear it in Leviticus 26, 3 and 4. If you walk in my statutes and observe my commandments and do them, if you follow my directions, then I will give you rains in their season and the land shall yield its increase and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. But it's even more blessed than that. Because again, even as this morning, the blessing isn't the stuff. The blessing isn't the healing. The blessing is the presence of God. Because it says in verse 13, righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps away. His righteousness will lead us home. His righteousness will always be that straight path for us to return into the presence of God. Provided in Jesus Christ in perfect fullness. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by Him. He has made that way for us in His Son. But He makes His footsteps away. That you would take up your cross and follow Him. And the beauty here in this last verse is that there are no more verses. Because in that last day, there will be no more turning. And that righteousness will continue to lead us to him and lead us with him in the life of the covenant blessing he has for us now and forevermore. And that, brothers and sisters, is our hope in Jesus Christ. That he will always work for us in that kind of steadfast love and faithfulness. So that ours now and forever is the privilege of simply being called to follow him. To follow his footsteps. I'm going to show you where to go. I've made it plain. Open your eyes. Open your ears. Open your hearts. And follow me. And so I call you tonight, brothers and sisters, follow him. Follow his leading, follow his directions, and do not turn from it as one looking ahead and looking forward with eyes on the prize to his coming. And so don't keep turning from him. Don't keep turning from your comfort. Don't keep turning from your security. Don't keep turning your attention away from your home. If that's where you are tonight, turn again to Jesus and find life. There is revival to be known in him. New life in Christ alone. Turn again. Your father is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness in his son. Turn again to him. Turn again, not away from his presence, but come. Come and do not turn. 
and as those found in Christ not having a righteousness of your own, a righteousness that will lead you home, give yourself to following him. Don't turn aside. Continue step by step in his footsteps as you make his presence known, proclaiming the goodness of Jesus and the power of his Holy Spirit. For he knows the paths. He knows the steps that I take. That one, as I come forth, I will come forth as gold into the blessing of his kingdom and the fullness of his presence. Amen. Let's pray. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth and the comfort and the blessing of this psalm. How we look back, Father, and all that we see is a record of your steadfast love and faithfulness. At every point, Lord, you show yourself to be exactly who you say you are and who you've promised yourself to be. And Father, we confess to you that, Lord, how often we turn and yet you call us to return again. Return to that steadfast love. Return to that faithfulness. No matter how messed up my life is, no matter how far I've wandered from you, no matter the things that I've done to break your word, you call me to come. And so would we return? Would we return in contrition and confession, in real repentance and in ardent love and thanks for the gift and the glory of the gospel? And Father, may we continue to follow you, knowing that you are leading us on a path of steadfast love and faithfulness that resolves forevermore in steadfast love and faithfulness. And so, Lord, as we walk that way, with righteousness before us, looking down at footsteps that we get to step in every step of that way, Father, we say thank you. Lord Jesus, we say thank you. Holy Spirit, we say thank you. And so would you continue to show yourself in every way to be a God who turns his face to us, And so, Father, would you turn our faces to you in the light of the glorious grace of your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.